Father, your goodness, your mercy, your grace supersedes you, God. Your reputation is one that is a just God. Your favor and your mercy endures forever, God. And we welcome you into this place and we ask tonight, God, today, tomorrow, and the rest of our days, Lord, that you order our steps, that you cause us to walk according to your plan for our lives. God, we need an encounter today with your Holy Spirit. We need you, God, to supersede on our behalf that the enemy of our souls will not triumph over us, but, God, that we will be taken up into your presence here for the next few moments, that the words of my mouth, God, will be your words, that heaven will come down to earth today and touch and do what only you can do, God, and give us reconciliation with you. Touch our minds, touch our spirits, and touch our hearts today to receive this, your holy word. Hide me behind the cross today so that what I say is what you intend for me to say. And God, help us be humble enough to receive even when it hurts. God, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you give him a hand clap of praise as you get ready to be seated? Amen. Hallelujah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You may be seated. Welcome to our online audience. I know we've got people watching this morning. Uh, Some folks are still uh, uh, not, not... able to be here or choosing not to be, and for that, uh, we're thankful that they are able to watch uh, on these days that they can't be here in person. So I'm going to jump right into the message, because like the theologian Jerry Reed once said, i got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I am going to do this morning week three of a sermon series that I have titled, Life Beyond the Ordinary. My text this morning will come out of John's Gospel, chapter 6. If you want to be finding it as I set up what I'm going to say and what I'm going to preach on this morning. I want to preface this by telling you that this sermon series is about something that we talk a lot about but don't experience. And that is the subject of miracles. We talk a lot about miracles in the church because the Bible's full of miracles. I don't think sometimes that we have a good handle on what miracles really are. I don't think sometimes that we experience miracles as often as we should, not because they're not present, but because we don't recognize them. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you something this morning. Sometimes I think we forget that some of the greatest miracles God's ever worked in our lives has been inside of us. Some of the greatest miracles God has ever performed has not been when he has stretched a withered hand or caused a sight to come to blinded eyes, but when he told you and convicted you and convinced you to go and ask for forgiveness to somebody. That was a miracle. When your marriage could have fallen apart, but he restored it and put it back together, that was a miracle. And nobody will come and interview you for News 9 because nobody leaped out of a wheelchair, but don't make any, uh, any less a miracle just because uh, it didn't get national news. And sometimes we forget how good God has been to us. Amen. These are all the things that God does, right? Because he's a good God. And he's still at work today. And and one of the things that I was thinking about as I was working through this message this week, I just want to say, here at Promise of Victory, we still believe that miracles happen. I believe in everyday miracles. I believe in supernatural miracles. I believe that God has the answer no matter what the question is. Can somebody say amen this morning? I firmly believe that God is still at work in this earth and that he uses the Holy Spirit and miracles in order to point us toward Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to go through what may be the most famous miracle that Jesus ever performed. I don't know how many times I've preached on this miracle. I'm going to guess somewhere between, uh, as a pastor, as an evangelist, somewhere around 25 times is what I, I could come up with about 25 different sermons that I have preached from this text this morning. One of the reasons I've preached so many times from this text is because this is the one miracle that all four of the Gospels recorded. This is the one miracle that all four of the gospel writers included. So you find a little nuance from Matthew to Mark to John to Luke. Every one of them uh, said something that the rest of them did not uh, pin down. So there's a lot of preaching in this story. And I'm going to take my text primarily from John chapter 6 this morning. And I want to ask a question to you. How different would your life look 
if you had made Jesus your partner in everything. As you sit here this morning in December of 2020, how differently would your life look if you had already made the decision years ago to make Jesus your partner, not just when you needed Him or you thought you needed Him, but you would have made Him your partner in everything already up to this point. If I didn't hold anything back if I didn't reserve anything for myself, if I hadn't been selfish or downright stupid and had already given Him the best of me and the rest of me, how differently would my life look today? If I would have given Him everything I am, no matter how small that thing is. That's what I want to begin this morning. John chapter 6 and verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd. Pay attention to that. This was not some Sunday morning in Weirton, West Virginia. These were thousands of people. A huge crowd kept following him. He was moving. He was a lot like Pastor Mitchum. He preached while he walked, except he didn't have the confines of a building. So he kept moving, and they kept following him wherever he went. Because they saw his miraculous signs and that he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. I wish I had time to preach on that this morning. For he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is this? It's so small. What good is this with such a huge crowd? Jesus answers, tell everybody to sit down. Sound like my grandma. Get a seat at the table. Tell everybody, say, what good is this little bit amongst all these people? Jesus says, watch this. We're about to turn this up a notch. We're about to show you what good a little bit is when Jesus gets involved in it. We're about to show you that if you'll bring him what you have, no matter how insignificant what you have seems at the time, if you'll just sit down at the table, I'm about to show you what I'll do with just a little bit. It don't take a whole lot of human effort. It doesn't take over-the-top human effort. As a matter of fact, the less you gets involved in it, the better off you'll be. He says, bring me what you got and watch what I'll do. Tell everybody to sit down. As a pastor, sometimes I believe I've heard the Holy Ghost tell, tell me that. Just tell everybody to sit down. I don't want them to see what they can do. I want them to see what I can do. Tell everybody to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves. He took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed it among the people. Must read that again because at the end of this message I'm going to come back to it. He took the loaves, he blessed the loaves, he broke the loaves, and he gave them away. Uh, four step process. Say four steps. Uh huh. After that, he did the same thing with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And these was church folk, so you know that they had some plates with sideboards on them. Verse 12 says, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, get some doggy bags ready. Get the leftovers so that nothing gets wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Somebody say amen for miracles. 
Now, I've got a lot of teachable nuggets from this text, and if you had a bulletin outlined this morning, I'd have about 37 points to it. So I'm just going to jump, uh, because time is not going to allow me to preach this uh, the way I could preach this. I could do a whole series just on this text. So I'm going to jump right into the message, and I'm just going to start dropping truth bombs on you. Are you ready to receive this? So in this text, we have 5,000 tired and hungry, and when I know church folk the way I do, probably grumpy. Because when they get tired and hungry, they are not the best people to be around. Somebody say amen. They are sitting on a hillside wanting dinner. They came to hear Jesus preach that day. Apparently, they showed up before breakfast. They stayed all morning. He preached through lunch. Now he's preached way past dinner time. You think I'm long-winded. Nobody had meant to stay out there that long. But that's how long Jesus preached. But they hadn't brought enough food. And apparently it's Sunday, so Chick-fil-A is closed. Jesus had preached all day. Now, in my mind, I imagine the conversation going something like this. His disciples come to him and and they tell him, the people are hungry. Hey, hey Lord, uh, first of all, first of all, excuse me. First of all, let me say, good good stuff today that seven week series that you preaching all in one day it's good stuff and if it was just us just the disciples we'd stay here and listen to you all night but the people these thousands of people they hungry feed them has Jesus ever said something has God ever put drop something in your spirit that is so ridiculous that even you look up and say Say what? I mean, has he ever done something in your life that, or expected something out of you that was so ridiculous that it makes you wonder, did I hear that right? Say that again. He tells them, feed them. And the disciples, rightfully so, went into panic mode. And the first answer was what we say a lot of times. We don't have enough money. Oh, I'm the only one. My whole amen committee already resigned on me this morning. That's not your answer to things when, when God asks you to do something. Your, your first response is not sometimes, I don't have enough money. You're the only one. All y'all so faithful. Pray for the bishop. I don't have the faith that all, all you have. Because sometimes that's my answer. Hey, God wants something out of me, and my first response sometimes is, where's the money coming from? So when they said we don't have enough money and we don't have time to make the money, here's what Jesus said. So what do you have? See, see, see I, there are about 37 points here that I could run on every one of them. He says, so what do you have? You, don't, you told me what you don't have. But I'm waiting to hear from you what you do bring to the table. Because in your eyes, you have to have something elaborate. You've got to have something over the top. You've got to have something extraordinary. But what I'm about to show you is, you already got something in your hand that if you learn how to give that little thing to me, I'm going to show up my God in heaven. So they go and they find this little boy who apparently had been to Long John Silver's and got a two-piece fish before he came to church. And he had five rolls and two pieces of fish. And the disciples bring it to Jesus and said, this is it. Everybody else already ate their M&Ms and their granola bars, and this is all we got left. And it's not nearly enough for 5,000 people. I'm going to say it again. It's not enough. But it's all they had. It's not enough. But it's all they got. It's a little bit. But it's everything. And sometimes he's not waiting on you to bring him the very best or the top notch. He's not needing a 50 minute prayer. Sometimes if you just say, help me Jesus. It's not enough. But it's all you got. 
Sometimes we don't have to have a praise team lead us into worship for 45 minutes, do seven Jericho marches, and blow shofars all over the building. Sometimes all you can do is cry, and you can't even get the words out. It's not enough. It's a little thing. But sometimes it's all you got. The disciples start handing out this food, which is not enough. But no matter how much they broke off, there was more. And more. And more. And they would break it, and there was more. And it ended up being enough for 5,000 men plus women and children. And the Bible says everybody ate as much as they wanted to. And I've been to church dinners. That's a lot. Second helpings, third helpings, fourth helpings. But take some home. Fix a plate for <laughs> fix a plate for Ralph. He didn't come today, but I need to take him a plate home. All this going on off of one little boy's two fish a two piece fish dinner. And listen, they had enough to fill. And have leftovers. But Jesus did miracles like that. Things that people could not see happening in the natural. This is exactly what Jesus does. He makes supernatural things look ordinary. Because this is what God been doing from the beginning. From Genesis chapter 1. He took nothing and made everything. He takes your empty places and fills them up. Oh, can't nobody touch you like Jesus. I wish I had a witness in this church. Oh, he'll take the empty places of your life and he'll pour his essence into it and spill you out on a lost and dying world because that's what he does to you. Uh-huh. He, he, he takes darkness and brings light. It's the only miracle that all four gospel writers recorded. And maybe they recorded it because it's so elaborate. Such an overwhelming task for Jesus to feed 5,000 plus more people with one little boy's picnic basket. So as I was praying the last few weeks over this message, I felt like the Lord just put on my heart this theme for this message this morning. What does it look like for you to partner with Jesus in a miracle? See, we all know what it looks like when God does a miracle by himself. When he splits the Red Sea, when he makes the sun stand still over the valley of Agilon, we know what it looks like when God does a miracle when we don't help him. But what does it look like for you to partner with him? So there's some lessons I want you to take from this story. And I'm just going to go through it rapid fire. Are you ready for this? The first thing that they did was they brought it to Jesus. Don't that seem like a simple thing? And the Bible says they brought it to him. So he took it, he prayed over it, he broke it, and then he gave it back to them. The first thing I want to point out to you this morning is they didn't have enough in the first place. And now he just broke it. Hello. They had not enough when it was a whole part. And now Jesus has started breaking the hole into pieces and expecting what they are left with to be enough. So as they pass out the broken pieces, say broken pieces, as they pass out the broken pieces, what was broken multiplied. Oh, help me preach. But it did not happen as long as they kept it. It only, the miracle only came when they gave it to the Lord. Then He blessed it, He broke it, and He gave it back out of their obedience. So I got a question for you this morning. Is it possible that the miracle you're waiting on right now, He has already put in your hand what He's going to use to perform... 
Is it possible that you are waiting on a miracle and you're waiting on a sign and you're waiting on somebody to bring something to you but the thing that he is going to use to bring your miracle to pass he has already put it in your hand but you think it's too small you don't think it's enough you don't think it's big enough or important enough or educated enough or rich enough or fat enough or thick enough and what God is wanting you to do is say if you'll just trust me and put it in my hand I'll break See, here's what happens. God, God, he developed this in me during this sermon as I was preparing it. When we're holding on to something, we are striving. We're working. We're toiling. We get stressed out because we're holding on to something trying to make it work. And God can't do what he wants to do because we're holding on to it and never gave it to him. And I think it's kind of a good point here that when God wants to work, sometimes the best thing we can do is to let Him work. To let go of the thing, give it to Him, and just sit down. Jesus said, feed them. We don't have enough money. Tell the people to sit down. Something's about to happen if you'll just sit down. If you'll bring me what you got and sit down, I'm going to show you a thing. So, so, so what happens is this. I think there are circumstances that are super overwhelming and we tense up and we get stressed out and we think about the negatives, right? We look at our situation and we go, okay, this is going to happen, which is going to lead to that, and that's going to happen because of the other thing, and that's going to be bad, and that's going to be worse. Oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that is, uh, I play out a whole scenario in my mind. I got like 12 steps of progressive negativity going on in my head. It's just me. And what we're doing is we're holding on to something, trying to make it work without trying to give it away. And the reason we're stressed out about it, and we're looking at it going, well, that ain't going to be fun, and this is going to be awful, and probably by the end of this, I'm going to be broke, busted, disgusted, divorced, and probably have cancer and die. And the reason you have already got there and been defeated in your mind is because you're trying to make something work instead of giving it away. And I think God just wants us to get into those moments and say, just trust me. Will you please relax? Will you just sit down? I've got this. And I don't know about you, but by nature, I'm a striver. I'm a struggler. I grew up in an environment where I learned how to work. I learned how to sweat, and that is my natural inclination. And I know some of you are that way as well. And so the hardest thing for me to do sometimes is to sit back and to rest and to let God do his thing. And I think when we let go and we try to be God instead of letting him be God, we mess up. And sometimes we have to learn how to just go to him with what we have and trust him with the outcome. See, when you're resting and you're seeking God's presence instead of, instead of trying to push through something or push your performance or whatever it is that you're trying to push through, whenever you're trying to strive, here's what happens. You are working instead of enjoying God's presence in your life. Because you get so goal-focused that you lose focus of Jesus. Which leads me to the rest of this story. If you're not going to focus your whole life on Jesus, your small things, the stuff you're trying to hold on to, if you're not going to focus all of that on Him, you're going to have a tough time finding Him when you do need a miracle. If you ignore Him most of the time, you won't be able to find Him in your desperation. I told you all four gospel writers wrote about this story. When you go over to Mark chapter 6 and read this story, here's what it says. Immediately after they fed the crowd, Jesus made his disciples get on a boat. Now there's a lot of preaching in this and I'm just going to give you the hillbilly version of the Bible. Because I don't have time to preach it and if I start quoting King James, I'm going to preach it. Bible says that Jesus constrained his disciples and put them on a boat while he went up in the mountain to pray. When they were crossing over, they ran into a storm. 
A storm that was very much like running into a typhoon or a hurricane because the boat was rocking and the waves was coming over the edge of the boat and the wind was ferocious and Jesus saw them. Another sermon for another time. He saw them, the Bible says, toiling. And he came walking to them on the water. The long and the short of the story is Jesus rescues them from their destruction and they make it to the other side. And in verse 52 is where I want to take the rest of my sermon from this morning. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. The Bible says that they were with Jesus partners with him in his miracle with the loaves. They partnered with Jesus. They saw it up close. Jesus multiplied the bread while it was in their hands. He puts them on a boat. They almost drown. And by the time they get to the other side, Mark chapter 6 and verse 52 says they considered not the miracle of the loaves. So the disciples witnessed one of the greatest miracles that had ever been performed. And then trouble came. And they forgot their miracle. Hear me. I've watched people my whole life get blessed and blessed and blessed. But as soon as they hit a rough spot, they forgot all the miracles that God had ever given them. Here's, here's an example in our Bible of people who soon forget how good God's been because life gets to become a struggle. They considered not the miracle of the loaves. In other words... The reason Jesus allowed them to partner with him in the loaves miracle was because it was supposed to be something that made an impact in their life. It was supposed to mean something to them. It was supposed to leave a mark on their heart and in their spirit. The reason they were partners with Jesus with the bread was so that when the time came for them to go through the storm, they would remember if God did that back then, then surely He will show up now and do what only God can do. But they forgot. They did not remember the last miracle when they were facing their present storm. I'm noticing the older I get, my forgetter works good. Ladies, don't you laugh at us men. Because I know my wife is not the only lady in this room who walks into a room, announces that she came in there for something, and can't remember what it was. I know some of you ladies <laughs> know how that feels. The leftover bread should have been enough sign to convince them that Jesus is all they need. Have you ever wondered why there was 12 baskets left over? Well, there's a, there's a theological reason. Number one, that means that every disciple got a basket full. Even the ones who doubted. When they asked Philip, says, how are we going to feed all these people? And Philip said, we ain't got enough money. When he went home that night, he carried a basket of not enough. Oh, I wish I had time to preach on baskets of not enough. Because when he went home that night, he had already discounted the possibility. He'd already wrote it off. He'd already said, this is not going to happen. And on his way home every night, that night he had to think every step. How in the world am I carrying a basket of not enough back to my house? Leftover baskets of not enough. So when we get into the business of partnership with Jesus, what happens in that miracle process should leave a mark on us. We should remember what he did then so we know he'll show up now. But it's easy to forget all that when you are right in the middle of a raging storm. See, all around you is examples of what God can do. 
All around you are sons and daughters that God has brought back into the kingdom and you don't feel like he can do it for yours. All around you is people who would have been dead by now, but God performed a miracle and you feel like you're going to die. All around you are signs and wonders, marriages that would have been split up, but God healed them and brought them back together and you don't think he can get involved in your relationship. See, all around us are examples of what God can do, but we often allow the enemy to blind our eyes to the miracle work and power of God when we need to see it the most. I brought an example with me this morning. Because it's all about focus. I put these on my rifles when I hunt. Because I'm not Daniel Boone. And, and when, when, I, when I go hunting, I put, I put one of these magnification scopes on it because it does two things. One thing is it eliminates everything except what's in my focus. It stops me from being distracted by all my surroundings because I only see what's in my focus. The second thing that it does is it makes what I'm focused on look bigger. Now you understand, it doesn't make that eight-point buck bigger. Would to God that I could just put this on that buck and that four-point would grow six more antlers. I don't know if that'd be great or not because I'd be going around here tonight, uh, this morning and doing this and some of you'd be like, don't point that thing at me. If everything that I point this at gets bigger, some of you ladies are going to be hiding. Don't do that, Pastor. So you understand that this doesn't make it bigger. Say amen. It just looks that way. Because you're focused on the thing and you're ignoring everything else around it which magnifies what you are pointed at. Whether that thing is a deer or a storm, or a diagnosis from the doctor, an insult from a co-worker, an offense from somebody, if you put your focus on it, come on church, it's going to get bigger. See, our problem is we don't realize the power of focus. Some of you don't have it as bad as you think you do. But you have chose to magnify the storm you are facing. And it has caused you to forget how good God has already been to you. Do you know that the Bible said in Mark chapter 6 that he put those disciples on the boat and they were going across and they ran into a storm. Jesus was on the mountain praying and the Bible says he saw them Struggling. He saw them. See, nobody's amen in me right there because we don't like this side of God. We don't like to feel like God's just going to sit and watch me struggle. We want God to intervene. We want God to get on board the ship. We want God to speak to the wind and rebuke the waves. We want God to do something. What do you mean you're going to see me struggle and let me struggle? The Bible says that he not only watched them struggle, but he started walking toward them on the water. And then go read your Bible. I don't have time to show it to you this morning. But read your Bible. It says that when he was walking on the water, he would have passed them by. You mean to tell me that God will see me struggling? And get close to me and not interfere? You mean to tell me that God will see me hurting? He will see me in my struggle. He will watch me toil. He will watch me row. He will watch me about die. He will watch me worry. He will watch me stress out. He will watch me pull my hair. He will watch me gnash my teeth. And he will get close to me, but he won't intervene. He would have passed them by. But when they saw him, they said, Help! 
So what's our lesson here? Our lesson is this. Their attention, their focus was on the storm. He got close, but he didn't interfere until they got their attention off of the hell they were going through and put their focus on him. And when they put their focus on him, he got over the bow of the ship and he made the wind lay down. He made the waves stop crashing. He made the sun shine again. He brought deliverance. He brought the ship to shore because of what they focused on. He was right there in the storm with them. But he waited until they noticed him before he got in the boat with them. He would have passed them by. He was right there. But he waited for them to shift their focus. The 12 baskets of leftovers should have been enough. He shouldn't have nothing left to prove. Hello. He let them partner with him in a miracle. They should have trusted him by now. No storm that the enemy could bring against them should shake their faith. He shouldn't need to perform another miracle. But as soon as they started to struggle, they forgot how powerful he was. And they forgot what he was capable of. So he shows up in the middle of their storm. But he waits for them to refocus on him before he steps over the bow of the boat. And the whole reason he let them see the miracle of the loaves was so that when they hit the storm, they would trust him. But they forgot. I'm about to let you go. But I want to share one more thing with you. Because they missed the lesson. But I don't want to give you a chance of doing that. So I'm just going to beat it to you. And repeat it. Over. And over. And over. They missed the miracle. Of the bread. They forgot it. When life got tough. They forgot how good God had been to them. And so have you. And so have I. When we come out of a miracle and into a storm, we forget that the same God that made the bread multiply is the same God that put me on this boat. And if he put me on the boat, he surely got a plan for even this storm. Because go back and read the Bible, he saw them. That means that you are never out from his watchful eye. That means that even though the boat feels like it's about to sink, do you honestly think a boat he's watching is about to go under? But it's easy to forget what he's already done if you miss the miracle that you've already partnered with him in. Do you remember the bread? Four-step process. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it away. I told you I'm going to repeat it. He took it. They missed it. I don't want you to miss it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it away. The little boy had it. It was not enough. He gave it to Jesus. Jesus took it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it away. See, that little boy had to give it to Jesus before a miracle was ever going to take place. And it still wasn't enough until it got broken. I'm about to land this plane. Stay with me just a few more minutes. I'm going to teach you something. Because we like to think that anything that we put in God's hands won't break. But what if He's the one who's breaking it. 
See, see in, my, in my image of God, I like to believe that anything I bring to him is going to be perfect and coddled and cuddled. And it's, uh, he's going to love it and pet it and squeeze it and kiss it. And, and how could I put something in a perfect God's hand and him not make it perfect? How can I give him something that's not enough and he breaks it? Remember the four steps. See, the miracle doesn't happen until the whole process is complete. The miracle does not happen until all four steps are complete. Some of you are on step one because you haven't given it to him yet, so he hasn't taken it. And he's not going to take it until you're finished with it. So some of you are waiting on a miracle that's not ever going to show up because step one is he took it. But he won't take it unless you're willing to give it. Pastor, it's not enough. It will never be enough. If it was enough, you wouldn't need a miracle. I'm going to say that to somebody again. If what you could do, if you could work hard enough, if you could do enough, if you could fight enough, if you could scratch and claw enough, you wouldn't need a miracle. The fact that you need a miracle tells you you don't have enough. I don't have but a little bit. Give it to Jesus. Because he can't do anything else until he but he won't take it. He'll pass you by until you're finished with it. So some of you are still on the first stage because you haven't given it to him yet. Some of you are on stage two, the blessed stage. And it seems like nothing can go wrong. You're blessed in the morning. You're blessed in the noontime. You're blessed all day long. You wake up blessed, you go to bed blessed, you're singing, there's little bluebirds around you like a Disney movie. I mean, you are filling your oats. You're walking around like a turkey with your beak all up in the air, hoping it don't rain and drown you. I mean, you have got it going on. I mean, blessing upon blessing. Every time I turn around, bless, I mean, you are just singing songs and you are you praising the Lord. And when somebody asks you, how you doing? I'm doing great. And you mean it. But you don't realize that when you're in the blessing stage, that brokenness is coming right around the corner. And there's a reason that he does it in this order because you need the blessing to endure the brokenness. <sighs> because sometimes you don't know how bad broke can feel. When you give it to him and he blesses it, he's giving you the strength and the encouragement to endure what is surely coming next. Because the next phase is the brokenness. And if you're not careful, you'll use up all your blessing in the blessed stage. And by the time you get to brokenness, you will forget what he did for you already. And you'll act like he is not good to you. And you'll act like he's not a just God because you are going through a struggle right now. But you need to remember how blessed you was just in the last step of the process. You were blessed. You're not any less blessed. I wish I had time to preach this this morning. Do you realize that when he blessed you, his blessings, the Bible says, are forever and ever. That means, child of God, if he blessed you yesterday... He is still blessing you even though you are in your struggle. He didn't stop. His mercies are new every day. He did not run out of blessing because you are going through a storm. His blessing will endure through the brokenness. But if you're not careful, you'll forget the last time he showed you a miracle. What happened to John the Baptist? John the Baptist stood on the banks of the Jericho River, Jordan River, and he looked up and he saw, as I look up and I see these brothers in the back of this room, he saw Jesus standing on the shore and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. He decreed and declared who Jesus was. And then he went to jail. 
and they were about to cut his head off. And he sent messengers to Jesus to ask one question. Are you the one or should we look for another? Wait a minute, John. I thought you already decided he was the one. I thought back in the blessed stage, y'all not going to help me. I thought back then when you was blessed, so when Bishop is preaching real good, you up here dancing in the front of the church, you're telling everybody else to hold on. You got words of encouragement on Facebook because you're in the blessed stage. Don't you check out on your holy God when you get into the brokenness stage. You remember how good he was to you back when he was blessing you. I've watched it over and over and over again how excited we get in the blessed stage. And then we forget how good he is because we're going through the brokenness. And John the Baptist says, should we look for another? Wait a minute, you're the one who picked him out of the crowd. You're the one who said who he was. And then he forgot. Because your present storm will often make your past miracle look insignificant I keep hearing 2020 has changed everybody I keep hearing that 2020 has been the worst year of everybody's lives so I have to ask you this morning before I let you go what have you allowed 2020 and its troubles make you forget I came here this morning to ask that I've preached this whole time 43 minutes and 31 seconds to ask that question what has made you forget how loving your God is what has made you forget his faithfulness concerning you? What has made you forget 2020 has been so bad. This relationship breaking up has been so bad. Those kids have been so bad. How did you forget how good your God is just because you're in the broken process right now? The step you are on is the step before victory. I wish I had a witness in this church because you may be being broken 2020, but the next step is the miracle. The next Next step is the blessing is coming down. The next step, child of God, you hold on. Don't you forget how good your God is because you're on your way to victory. Stay in the process. What broke you so bad that you forgot how he cares so much that he will not ever let you drown? Even if he has to walk on the water to rescue you, he is close to you. He gets beside you in your storm. Child of God, make sure your trouble, your worries, your pain don't leave a more permanent mark on you than Jesus does this year. He is a good, 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 good God. And He has been far better to us than we ever deserved. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say something. If He don't ever do it again, He's already done way more than I ever deserved. I ain't going to say nothing about you because I don't know how you are with him. You might think God still owes you something. But I'm going to tell you that if he never ever performs another miracle in my life, the cross and the empty tomb, that was enough. If he never gives me another financial breakthrough, the cross and the empty tomb was enough. If he never heals my body again, the cross and the empty tomb was enough. If he never restores the relationship that's broke, the cross and the empty tomb was enough. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Hell might as well hear me say it this morning that even if he brings a storm, the likes of which I've never seen before, the cross and the empty tomb was enough to hold on to Jesus. What else have I got to hold on to? Somebody give God about 10 seconds of praise in this church don't forget his passion to bless you don't forget his mercy that he has for you don't forget how much he loves you you're in the process
The miracle doesn't show up until all four steps have been completed. And some of you are going to leave. Thank God we're not all in the same place at the same time. Thank God I don't have a room full of broke people in here this morning. The tears would flow as deep as the horse's bridles if all of us was broken at the same time. But some of you are living through the blessed stage. Some of you are still waiting to give it away. And some of you, I just feel this. Some of you, he's giving away what you got right now. Because all that brokenness came with a price. And the price was not for you, it was for the people that's going to benefit from what you went through. And the devil put you through hell, but he didn't know the 15 people that's going to get blessed because of what you went through. (laughs) Father, we love you. And there is none like you. And we thank you that you bless us. We thank you that you have overcome. We thank you that there is the ability of heaven has never surrendered to the turmoil of hell. And God, today I decree and declare over this congregation that somebody that has been struggling to hold on, they're going to get received new strength here this morning. The book of Hebrews says to get a new grip with your tired hands and to stand up on your shaky knees. And that's what I'm decreeing over somebody's life here this morning. Someone that has been struggling just to get one foot in front of the other. Someone that life has been cursing them and and uprooting them and causing them all kinds of stress and turmoil. I decree and declare today that their season of struggle is about to come to an end and that you are going to give them victory. God, you're going to bring it fast. You're going to bring it speedily. But they're going to first have to remember how good you have been to them. And if you did it before, you will surely do it again because you are a just and a perfect God. We love you today. Holy Spirit, permeate our beings with your essence and help us help us to strive to be more like you. Let Jesus be our standard and our goal. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. Promise of victory, I love you. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you to our online Uh, congregation this morning. We love you. Be safe. Uh, We are coming up on the Christmas season, and I pray that this word and all the words that you receive uh, in in this coming season uh, is a blessing and strengthens your faith in this dark season that the world is in. But those of us that know the light, we're never in the dark. Can somebody say amen? God bless you.